come here to negotiate some kind of deal? You think you hold all the cards because you can do whatever you want in this world. I say, go for it. Remake it. Knock yourselves out. Paint the sky with rainbows. But here's the thing. The sheeple aren't going anywhere. They like my world. They don't want this sentimentality. They don't want freedom or empowerment. They want to be controlled. They crave the comfort of certainty. And that means you two, back in your pods, unconscious and alone, just like them. <laughs> We're not here to negotiate anything. We were on our way to remake your world. Change a few things. I don't like the paint the sky with rainbows idea. Just remind people what a free mind can do. I forgot. It's easy to forget. He makes it easy. That he does. Hello, and welcome to the agency. This is Candy in Chicago. And Eugene in Toronto. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Yes. Beautiful, cool morning here in Toronto. Oh, yeah, here too. And, you know, I didn't enjoy that big, hot 90 degrees Chicago weather we had about 10 days ago. I didn't did like you guys it. get the, the big storm on Saturday? Yes, we did. I think we did. It was pretty crazy rain, I would say. We got, we were out in the garden and we got uh, an alert on our phones about um, severe thunderstorm warnings, which is very rare. You don't usually get that. And like we're out there gardening and it's a totally sunny, beautiful day. And then you hear, eh, 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 you know, the, the annoying wake up. There's something major happening sound. Mm -hmm. And we look at the alert. The thunderstorm's going to happen. And seconds later, this huge cloud comes overhead and this wind whips up. I mean, it was serious, knocking over chairs and stuff. Mm -hmm. So we got in the house and here it only lasted 15 minutes and it right. was nothing but um in some areas uh like we have family living in uxbridge northeast of toronto mm. and uxbridge lost power it lost like power lines down trees down roofs flying everywhere it was a terrible little story terrible and yeah my facebook was filled up with people i'm on my phone at the wi-fi in the cafe our power's down yeah, pretty crazy. I, I I didn't realize it was the same storm. We had a look. I don't think it was that bad, obviously. It was just like um, very, very intense rain. Um, those those um, news weather things are strange, and it's hard to take them seriously sometimes. When I first moved to Chicago, I'd be in the middle of watching, a, you know, a, a show. And even if you recorded it, that they have this weather warning. And you know what? It's just going to rain out, but they go crazy like it's going to be everyone's going to die. And they interrupt your whole programming on your TV. You can't get rid of it. It goes across the screen and you can't hear the volume, the plot twist, nothing. <laughs> I'm the first to get annoyed by these sorts of things. But um, in this case, it was really Warrant appropriate. Yeah, warranted. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, I guess also in Illinois, there are some tornadoes and really bad flooding. Um, Stegan, I did get caught in a tornado. The announcement came over the radio while we were driving home. <laughs> and wow. I, we were in our Volkswagen Cabrio, which is a very small car. It was convertible. And we had to pull over. We couldn't even drive under, an, you know, the where the train tracks go over in an underpass. We couldn't yep. go in it. It was four feet of water. Wow. Yeah, crazy stuff. So there, there has been some definitely justified storm warnings in Chicago. 
Hey, so, I've been making a couple of new friends. Oh, you have? Yes, I have. Good for you. That's hard yeah. to, Steinfeld said we can't make new friends after the age of 30. Well, you know, <laughs> I have, I have this uh, practice of mm-hmm. going into my studio quite late at night. And for our listeners who don't know, uh, my studio is, you would call it the garage in our house. Right. But long before we ever lived here, some enterprising folks insulated that garage, mm-hmm. put a wood floor down and drywalled in the garage door. So, so from so the front, it looks like an ordinary garage door. Yeah, but so in nice. fact, it's my secret lab. And you can only enter from the, the back. And that's been my painting studio for years. And now I'm working on a, a fiddle and that kind of stuff there. Mm-hmm. But also, I like to practice before I sleep. I think that it's the best way to learn. And so I got into this habit of going out there to uh, to to play the fiddle because it's insulated and it doesn't bother anyone at one in the morning. <laughs> so... When I come out at one or one thirty in the morning, yeah, that's where I've been meeting my new friends. One oh. of them is Pepe. Oh, Pepe I... Le Pew. Yep. yep. Yeah, you, you might have uh, met him at some point. He's been know. canceled. He's been canceled. <laughs> yeah, probably. I know. So uh, he has been. I think. Probably. Um, <laughs> so I, this skunk uh, comes around our yard, and especially <laughs> uh, in the pathway going around the catio to the entrance to my studio it was a little bit lower than the ground around it probably because i've worn a path (laughs) and so in the in late winter it was getting kind of soggy there so i had a big bag of mulch and i spread a bunch of mulch down well i think the mulch must be a great environment for grubs because Ooh, yeah. because Mr. Skunk has been coming around to eat the grubs <laughs> in front of the studio door. But he hasn't been alone. His buddy Rocky Raccoon comes <laughs> along too. And also, I think, is out there grubbing because they're sticking their nose in. So oh. now I have to, when I leave, I have to very carefully open the studio door. Oh and last God. night I opened it and Mr. Skunk was like four feet away from me. <laughs> I don't like that. That's Wildlife 5, Eugene Zero. <laughs> I mean, I got nothing against skunks, except that I know that if if I get sprayed, I'm going to be really unhappy. I yes. know this to be true. Yes. So I open the door and I go, Mr. Skunk, would you leave, please? <laughs> and he does. He just kind of looks at me and then waddles away across the yard <laughs> because he doesn't want any trouble. He's got a good grub hunting ground and we kind of have a deal. When yeah. he sees me, he walks away. And when Mr. Raccoon sees me, uh, he, or it could be Mrs. Raccoon, I don't know. Yeah. I, I shouldn't say it's Mr. Raccoon. Anyway, when the raccoon sees me, it climbs the apple tree <laughs> and goes up to about eight feet and just looks at me. Like, would you go away so I could get back Aww. to my rubbing? I love that. Oh, I know that look. On, I know that look on a raccoon. I've seen it myself, like, just hurry up. I thought you were leaving. I think I give that to Stag on when, just before he goes to work. <laughs> and then the squirrels, <laughs> the squirrels have buried all their nuts in my containers that I used to grow veggies. <laughs> so they keep wreaking havoc with my veggie garden by digging up their nuts. Oh, no. 
Well, maybe it's a, if they're elevated Those garden. pesky squirrels. They probably feel they're safe on that elevated garden, right? Of course. Of course. You it's know. a perfect spot for them. However, um, the garden is winning out, and I've already been eating a little bit of baby spinach and a little bit of lettuce. Damn. I've planted all my tomatoes. Um, we got uh, our tomatoes. You know, I'm very, very fortunate. Um, my tomatoes are grown for me. Uh Every year for several years now by a friend of the podcast, Jennifer Arnott, oh, who, has, hi, Jennifer. Uh, who has the blog, uh, the, the Fabulous Garden, mm-hmm. and she grows the best tomatoes. So fantastic. So I have, uh, I have a couple of sun golds. I have some old German, some boxcar willy, mm. some crimson Carmelo. <laughs> uh, there's going to be some super good uh, tomatoes once again this year. Thanks to Jennifer. I really appreciate it. Uh, and so I've got those planted yeah. and I had, uh, here's the problem the the garden centers sell peppers and hot peppers really early mm-hmm. because everyone's anxious to garden. Yeah. But if you plant peppers and hot peppers too early, they don't like the cold soil and it actually will set them back. But you know, I've got them and I've got to keep them wet and they're in pot. So finally on the weekend, I just said, that's it. I'm just planting them, even (laughs) though I probably should have waited another Uh week or so for the soil to warm up. Yeah. And, uh, and also, so what happened? Did anything bad happen? So far, nothing bad has happened. Okay. Um, And, you know, after my brother passed, um, we found a bag of uh, bush bean seeds. Uh, at his place and uh and i've planted my brother's beans oh that's so great so, yeah so we'll enjoy my brother's beans later yeah. on uh so what are bush bean beans or bush what well they they're your basic green beans oh green beans okay okay but but beans grow in two forms they grow in bush beans that are a bushy plant that grows about 18 or 20 inches tall okay. or they're pole beans that love to climb. So you give them a trellis and they'll climb up the trellis and, uh, uh, and grow all their, their, their beans. Um, my, my brother had a variety called provider, <laughs> which is a, a popular market gardening variety that has really, really good yields. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he knew his stuff when it came to gardening, that's for sure. So I've planted his beans and it's probably a week early to plant beans too. <laughs> I hope not. I hope it's going to be okay. You know, Me too. Um, can you cover them with anything or is it? Too I late? can, but so far, you know, here's the reason I'm willing to take a little bit of a risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, we live right close to the lake. Um, for our listeners, uh, a snowball's throw away from the lake. If Correct. you are a really good snowball thrower. Yeah. Uh, right around the lake, we're what they call zone six in Toronto, mm-hmm. but around the lake, we're maybe zone six and a half. There's kind of a microclimate around the lake. Mm-hmm. So typically it doesn't get as cold by the lake and it doesn't get as hot by the lake. And I'm sure you've noticed in Toronto that if you were up at say DuPont street on a hot day and you think, Oh, what a hot day. And you go down to the lake and it's, Oh, it's much more pleasant. Like it could be a few degrees difference, right? Right by the yeah. lake cooling, but it's the same in warming. So we tend to, and it's not all the time, but we tend to have uh, an earlier frost-free season than even a mile north of us in the okay. city. 
So I'm willing to take a little bit of a risk that way by watching how other things are are growing and where they're at. Mm -hmm. Good. So you should be okay. Um, I guess that's a good thing they weren't in that rainstorm or were they in that rainstorm? They were in the rainstorm and they were fine. Everything okay. was fine. Good. Excellent. That's good to know. Well, I've had a crazy busy week, as you've probably seen on social media, because I had two friends in town. And um, both of them are avid listeners to the podcast. So hello, Trisha. And hello, Andy. And um, Trisha was in town with her mom. Her mom, she had to work in town. So she had a hotel. And then her mom and her mom's friend, who I went to Vegas with, if you will recall. Yes, I do. Um, we The band got back together again and we hung out in Chicago. <laughs> and um, then Trisha and I, I stayed at Trisha's hotel a couple of nights last week. And um, we just went out for supper. I had mentioned that we found a couple of nice places and um, carried on carried on from there since what I first told you at the podcast, because she was in town all week. And then we, um, then Andy came into, oh, and then Trisha, one thing we did was really kind of fun was, um, you, you know, steak, my husband's steak, he never asked for anything really. He really doesn't. He just, you know, when he does, I've got to take it seriously. Anyway, he wanted some edibles since I was downtown and I don't know, he said, I want some edibles. I wouldn't have thought of going downtown to get the edibles. I would have gone to Wicker Park or Logan Square, but I was like, okay, well, we'll see. Does, does Chicago now have uh, legal dispensaries? Oh, for a long time. Oh, okay. A couple of years, a couple of years. And I very rarely go to them. Um, the last time I was actually, I don't know, usually edibles come to me through I, I don't know. I just kind of figure it out. But this one was a really, um, there's a place I really like in, in Wicker Park that I usually go to. Um, but anyway, this was a dispensary. And the head shops also have edibles, by the way. So, you know, oh, yeah. you go to an old school, you can go to an old school head shop here. But this was actually Is that like, legal. Like, how, do, how do they do the, the legality of it? Like here, you have to, um, you have to apply for a license to run a cannabis shop. And uh, if you get the license, uh, then everybody has to um, has to buy their weed from the same source. So mm. you can't buy it from mm. your cousin who's a great grower. You have to buy it from, well, I call it the Doug store. <laughs> um, so, you know, right. It's it's a very weird thing that's going on here. They've given out so many licenses, and I guess everybody thinks it's the land of milk and honey because you know who isn't going to get rich selling weed is what I think people are thinking. But there are some streets in Toronto where in a in a mile of a street there can be ten cannabis shops. There is no way half of these are going to survive. Right. So that's I feel true. really bad for all those hopeful, ambitious people who wanted to get into the cannabis business who find out they can't get any business because it's so diluted around the city. Yeah, that's... You know, it's uh, going to write itself eventually because only only the ones who are better marketers or better, I don't know, nicer people. I don't know. I, I have no idea yeah, what's going to keep I some of them in business. Better locations, maybe. Yeah. I, I thought this was kind of funny because um, so we went, so we, you know, we Googled a dispensary downtown. It was something to do in the evening and, and Trisha wanted to, you know, we both wanted to go see what was going on. And I mean, it was pretty formal. You had to, you know, quite a, it was quite busy downtown and there was a big lineup and you had to show your ID and go in and um, 
fill out your form. You you go and see these um, uh, sales reps, and you we talked for quite a while actually while they described the products and what our choices were, and um, we got some edibles. And so as soon as we go outside the store, one of the ones we got was one that I had eaten from Trisha in Vegas. We we got we picked some up in Vegas. And um, I popped it, right? I was like, oh, I'm going to eat this one right away tonight, right before we go for supper or whatever. <laughs> so I eat it. And I, like a smart ass, I had already tried it out in, in, in Vegas. I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to have another bite. I'm going to take a half of an extra because the other one was mellow and I felt it. Well, I got pretty high. <laughs> I got so high that I felt self-conscious. I started to feel that it, I usually don't get paranoid on microdosing. And um, on eating, on edibles, I just feel like that when I come on slowly like that, it just feels better. Well, I was quite, quite visually um, stimulated. And at one point, I just wanted to get the giggles. And I was like, oh, God, I think I have to go to the hotel room. I was so worried about embarrassing Trisha downtown or something in public. I was like, I think I have to go to the hotel room now. We have to go inside. <laughs> but I had a pre-panic attack feeling otherwise it was fantastic but i won't be a smart ass again i will just take the uh the one jelly there you go <laughs> yeah so that was pretty exciting that was a lot of fun the colors were really pretty the lights were really pretty i was surprised i had such a strong body stone on it <laughs> so you went, you went back to the hotel and like watch cooking shows <laughs> no, I, I, yeah we probably did that would be a great idea no, we had a drink. We went to the hotel bar and we did hang out for a while. Oh, okay. I mean, a drink. But once I was realizing, oh my God, I'm about to go to hysterical laughter. And I don't know if I want to do that in public. So, yeah. To slightly change the topic, yeah. you've been posting about how you're changing the way you're eating. Yes. And I look at what you're cooking <laughs> and I need to be schooled here. I need to be educated. Because, like, I saw one day you were having like salmon like three times a day yeah with mayonnaise and buttermilk that's yeah. the kind of diet food for me yeah. so i, well, I want to know about well, how i could eat salmon three times a day with mayonnaise and buttermilk and cheese and uh, and not add to my already enormous bulk well the the theory is you know i was paleo for years eating no carbs you know, really a pretty, quite a lot. And I will eat carbs as a special treat, but I have been no control eating like a crazy person. Um, I know, get you. I get there too. Yeah. And so carbs is the culprit, right? It's, it's the, it's the starchy carbs are the culprit. Yes. Yeah. I mean, all food has carbs in it. You're right. So I should be clear on that. It's the starchy, empty calorie they could also be called empty calories. It could be called bread, for instance, or beer. It could be called bread or beer. Yeah, I don't. I, I stopped drinking beer a long time ago. As much as I love beer, I will still have a beer, but I, I tend to just drink um, alcohol or wine. And um, so basically, I'm the, the salmon thing was just a three day window. I'm going to insert in my non carb diet or keto, or paleo, whatever you want to call it, or Atkins. You could call it Atkins, too. There's so many people that have created And mayo is cool? Well, I think that there's going to be some stricter versions of this diet that wouldn't eat uh, mayo. Okay. But yes, I would say mayo is cool. Because that's um, the question I'm going to ask next time I think about changing my diet. Can I have mayo? Yeah, that's a good I, question. I think so. And I'm, I'm definitely very, my appetite has gone down because I'm eating such rich protein and nutrients. Okay. 
So okay, that I, makes sense. I guess yeah, I feel like my appetite has gone down. I actually don't miss bread right now. I can't. Which even is good. It. That's a hard thing to get off bread. It, it really it's a, is. I mean, we're bread junkies. I think. I, I know. Am. Well, the thing is that it is addictive. It's, so you're not kidding when you say junky because actually it's like eating sugar all the time. Of course, sugar yes, is yeah. addictive. Yeah, because it. Yeah, and so, so you, once you eat it, your body says, "I'd like another piece of that delicious toast." Well, I could eat six pieces of bread. I really could eat so much toast. I love my peanut butter. I love my marmite, as I said last week. Now, what's weird is I did get some Polish sausage for Stag and and for myself, and then I thought, "Oh, this guy, he's gonna love to have some fresh." buns with that so i went and got some three fresh you know rolls and when i opened up the bin to get them at the grocery store it smelled so good it just triggered me but then i went you're okay you're not going to eat these you're going to get them they're going to be in the house and you're going to ignore them oh you're strong you are strong like an amazon i am strong because i will tell you for three weeks and i've 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 to blow the diet to have a treat would be french fries Okay. okay, so I've had French fries probably twice. I had some yesterday with Megan and Michelle. Hi, ladies, and um, and there was an egg roll type mm. thing which I ate. I love I of. love French fries. I do too. It's really what my favorite food group. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I also love potato chips to a degree. So as soon as I moved to the states, I I gained about ten pounds within a month or two, right away, and I kind of maintained that level when you order in restaurants and it, and and you know we had a little bit of income we were in a, living a different lifestyle then steak had a you know we were still newly together we definitely went out for dinner twice a week at least and um you know you get these and he had a different job and um it cost cheaper it was less, more affordable in Chicago we went out you know as much as we could we went out to the galleries downtown we were going out and you order food and it's massive portions so I just gained weight even if I took it sure. home even if I saved it well I I think anyone who's visited Eaton in America knows that portion sizes in America are the biggest anywhere yeah Texas yeah and then there's Texas proportions and Vegas proportions and they can be massive too so you know I have I, to tell you a story about can I can I just please, interrupt please sorry please. I don't mean to interrupt no, but no. this just came into my head Do it. you know years ago my buddy East Texas Red and I used to drive across the country to the mountain west to chase trout with flies mm -hmm. wave sticks in the middle of streams with mm -hmm. these little tiny flies we tie mm -hmm. and uh, try to catch these trout and there was one year where we 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 managed to drive from Toronto to Cody, Wyoming in 36 hours. And to do that, it means that you only stop to get like coffee and some ho-hos at a gas station. And that's about it because <laughs> you're on the road all the time. And then we get there to Cody and we're just so tired. We can hardly stand up at this point. And we'd get like a, a motel room and then we'd go to the Irma Hotel. Now, the Irma Hotel was was built uh, by uh, a certain Bill Cody, who they named the, ta the town after, oh, otherwise yeah. known as Buffalo Bill Cody. Yes. And uh, Irma was his girlfriend. And it had the biggest bar. I don't know. Maybe it was the biggest bar in America. I don't know. The longest bar. It was shipped across the country by stagecoach in pieces. Mm. So this place still exists. And now if you go in there, well, I don't know what it's like now, but this is back then. And I'm thinking timing wise, 
what year would it be? I'm thinking around the time Princess Diana died. <gasps> and the reason why I, I make that um, association is on one of those trips, I remember hearing that news while we were out driving. Okay. So it's, well, I don't even know what year that was. It was a long time ago. I want to say so 97. Anyway. Okay. So at that time, the dinner at the Irma Hotel was, they had a salad bar with, you know, like iceberg lettuce and and uh, and chickpeas and like that. And, and then they had the menu. And the menu had, you could get prime rib mm. or you could get prime rib. And they also <laughs> had prime rib. And they... The way they differentiated is they gave each size a name, like yeah. the rancher or the ponderosa. You know, it's like each one had a name just indicating how much meat you're gonna get. Right. And what I remember is that I was like giddy <laughs> from being on the road for so long. Yeah. And we ordered the medium size of the prime rib. And this plate came out with this chunk of beef on it. I'd never seen anything so big in my life, overflowing the plate. <laughs> and of course you had the salad bar in case you yes. wanted some vegetables with that. Also Just canceled, un also canceled. The salad bar is canceled as well as Pepe Le Pew. Well, I guess salad bars, <laughs> yeah, because of the pandemic, you don't yeah. see the salad bar yeah. action. Yeah, so you had a great salad bar. I used to love a salad bar. Ooh. So you'd have the salad bar. Would you also enjoy that? Well, we would enjoy the salad bar, yes. And then we'd have like this ridiculous chunk of meat yeah. and then go back to the, the motel and just sleep for 10 hours. <laughs> and then we'd be good to go and we'd just go fishing yeah. around the Mountain West. Yeah. Because Cody, for us, was like the gateway to trout heaven. Mm. Okay, oh God, Cody just is just east of the east gate of Yellowstone Park. Ugh, heaven on earth. And it is it is some of the most spectacularly beautiful country. I have to say, I love Wyoming. And I particularly, I love the color of the sky, the color of the light in Wyoming. It's magic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, love I interrupted. It. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's all part of the same thing. So, you know, I think that my next step would be, um, I think mayonnaise, the problem with mayonnaise is whether or not you're getting it's good. That's the it's, problem. It's yeah. yummy. No, no. I think <laughs> about whether or not it's clean, whether it's pure and organic. So I think my next step will be to make my own mayonnaise. I do have a device. I picked up a device particularly to mix, um, you know, almond milk uh, smoothies, if I feel like having that on the diet or, um, and then I would put fruit in a banana, maybe, um, and some protein powder, some vitamins in it. So that can be a meal sometimes. I'm doing MCT in my coffee. And MCT is like um, distilled coconut oil. And it gives you a lot of energy. Coconut oil. It, it coincidentally um, fills up your appetite. So you feel very satisfied from this cup of coffee. It's called bulletproof coffee. And often when people put, and you're not supposed to put cream in your coffee as well with it. But I still it, it do. does, does it wreck the coffee or is it drinkable? Oh, it's drinkable. I use a little whipper to um, blend it nicely. Um, just one of those handheld frothers, milk frother. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So I put that in and ideally I should cut back on the cream. I think on there, I don't know. Just uh, the you side know, I, I kind of think if you offered me coffee with some MCT, yeah. I'd, uh, I'd kind of say got I'll any sugar or I'll take it black. 
I'll bring it with you. Okay. I'll bring, I'll bring it with me and um, you can try it. It's actually delicious. You can't really notice it. It's quite delicious. And some people will do that in their coffee and they'll lose eight pounds in a couple of weeks for sure. Oh, yeah. And just by not doing anything else, it, it satisfies you. I think they're not eating breakfast at that point or very but, much breakfast. You know, on keeping on the, on the thought of having mayo on a diet, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when, when I was in Vietnam, the coffee uh, comes with sweetened condensed milk. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so they, they, they brew it with the, the sweetened condensed milk and you get this super strong jet fuel coffee mm. hits you one way. And as you're reeling from that hit, you get the other hit from the sweetened condensed milk. <laughs> yes. Boom, boom. It's yes. a double, double hit to the head. And you go, oh, that was good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Very much like the edibles. <laughs> 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 yeah. So I think that I should probably make my own mayonnaise. Um, Hellman's is pretty good, but I don't know about the oil. It's probably not organic. It's probably, I, I would have to say it's not. So I really, my goal is to make my own mayonnaise. I mean, for me, the idea of a diet food and mayonnaise is mayonnaise is bad because of the processing of commercial products, I thought. That's why I like real mayonnaise over more processed. Miracle Whip. Yeah. Me, oh, I ugh, I can't stand <laughs> Miracle Whip. I don't even want to see its label. Um, yeah. When I, just, when I first tasted Hellman's mayonnaise, it was at my friend Jenny's house. Hi, Jenny. I'm sure she's listening. Her parents had the best food they came from san francisco and they had all kinds of different food that i wasn't used to to eating right from california and they always had real butter in the fridge they didn't have margin they had hellman's mayonnaise they always had chocolate syrup and vanilla ice cream in their house (laughs) always for the kids and there was a portion you were allowed to have they had four kids and um you know, just funny those things you remember, but I remember thinking, oh, if I could only live in this house. <laughs> so as soon as I, you know, could, I started getting Hellman's mayonnaise. Okay. Oh, they always had, and they had Frito Lays. I um somehow they would bring them back from on their trips or something because Canada didn't have Frito Lay, and I thought that was the greatest thing on earth. And when I was a vegetarian, I used to take Frito Lays and dip them in um, cottage cheese. <laughs> Wow. Well, you know, Frito-Lays has been involved in a huge, now resolved food war here. Yes. Yeah, with the the Loblaws company. Mm -hmm. And so Frito-Lays wanted to raise the prices and Loblaws, you know, and Frito-Lays is Pepsi. Okay, so they're a giant. Mm -hmm. And Loblaws is Galen Wilson, and they're a giant. So the battle of the giants, we had Frito-Lays saying, we want to raise our prices. And Loblaws saying, we don't, we're not going to accept that. And if you insist on raising your prices, we're pulling your product from our shelves. Mm. And so they did all the no frills. I mean, they were, they had to fill up the shelves with like old Dutch and other brands <laughs> of, of, uh, of potato chips. Cause they wouldn't sell the, the lays. And wow. I mean, it was like a, a chip wasteland at mm. the no frills. I had to go to the Sobeys to get my lays fix. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I that is my preferred brand is Lay's potato chips. Um, yeah, I used to love old Dutch when I was a kid, but I, I think that's got MSG in it, but I don't like it as much anymore. To me, uh-huh. they just taste and and you know, maybe it's just me, right? And I I don't want to slag the old Dutch company. I know I love any more than necessary. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, I sort of think they kind of taste to me like they were all made in 1947. 
yes. and just sitting in a I warehouse know. with the girl guide cookies. I agree. I agree. I'm sorry to say. And Lay's are just so amazing, even though I don't want to eat them. <laughs> um, but that will be when I have a treat will be something like French fries and um, Lay's. So, yeah, if I use organic um, olive oil, fresh eggs and fresh lemon juice, I don't see why that can't be on a diet. It's purely it's just high calories all. I'm not worried about calories. Calories is okay. not what you worry about when you diet. What you worry about is, is empty calories like starch. Because right. the idea with keto or paleo is that for million, hundreds of thousands of years, we only ate seeds and meat and grass and, and such, right? Like some plant life. We didn't invent bread until about 10,000 years ago. So um, with paleo, your body goes into something called ketosis. I don't understand the whole thing or if, it, if it's true or false. But the idea is that at some point when you adjust your diet and get rid of the starch, your body won't burn off the starch now. It will burn off the fat by just consuming fat. Yeah. Plus, I do uh, the best, best thing I feel is the alertness of my brain from all the omega-rich oils I'm eating. And I, I just feel more alert. Yeah. More I could use that because I start with an ever so tiny brain. So I, I need all <laughs> the brain enhancement I could get. Well, you know what? I got some edibles called genius. Genius. <laughs> how <laughs> can they I make resist? You smarter, right? <laughs> I guess, it, I guess, you know, what's interesting is how they can fine tune uh, some of these um, THC products and get them so that they have, they pull out the mood in within THC to, to adjust well, I'm, I'm sure particularly now that it's legal in so many places, lots of work is going to be done on that to try to figure out the best way to use those those products, yes. aside from the uh, the the traditional smoke in them. Right, yeah. right. And, you know, you can control the dosage so much easier. It's it's that's the best part is, um, you know, is experimenting to find out what works for you. And I had to experiment and take too much and go back to five mil. <laughs> not seven and a half mm. mil <laughs> of these delicious um treats uh yeah so that was really fun getting the edibles and the diet so yeah i'm just trying to eat you know the other thing you want to be careful is i don't want to eat necessarily a lot of things that are bad for your heart as well mm -hmm. um so you if you're eating keto yeah i could eat steak three times a day if, if technically i'm not going to but i could i had a steak yesterday and i went out with michelle and megan and i really could hardly eat our snacks I was so full from the steak and, um, you know, that's not against that's steak. A, that's a good feeling. That's a good feeling to not, you know, speaking of uh, yeah. food and yeah. how we eat, hmm. you know, I have a love hate relationship with, with cooking competition TV shows. Yes. And we started, we needed something to watch. You know, sometimes you when you want to watch something on, on the tube, you want to watch something that's intelligent and challenging and creative. And other times, you just want to have some mindless entertainment. Yeah. Well, we needed some of that mindless entertainment. And we usually have something going for those evenings when really you don't want to think. You've had quite a day and you just want yes. to chill. And yes. so we've been watching and we watched all of um, the seventh season of Master Chef Canada. Hmm. How was it? Well, the strange thing is we couldn't stop watching it. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's the really compelling thing is because they're really good at, <laughs> at introducing stereotypical aspects of the, of the people. They did, they developed stories sure. right, through the editing. And 
and that's kind of fun. And, you know, I like food and it's kind of fun to see what people come up with and you start to identify with people. Uh, we have three in our MasterChef Canada, we have three judges who are all super knowledgeable restaurateurs. Oh, who are they? They're Claudio April, runs several restaurants, um, Michelin star restaurants, mm -hmm. uh, Michael Bonaccini, who's mm -hmm. like the guy from Canoe and mm -hmm. uh, various other restaurants. Right. Um, and Elvin Leung, who is the dude who wears the blue hair with the blue glasses. Oh, yeah. And, and he has, he's pretty, he's got one voice, he shouts. <laughs> and it has one monotone. And none of these guys, they're all like, when they start talking about the food, you see why they hired them because mm -hmm. they are really super knowledgeable and they could taste something and have really insightful comments about, you know, how it could be better and mm -hmm. all of that. How sort do you of feel thing. about that when they get, um, how do you feel for the contestants at that point? Well, you know, mostly I think they're fairly empathetic with the contestants and especially blue hair guy, Elvin. Um, he actually is quite positive in, in his comments. But the thing with these judges is TV doesn't like them. You know, some people, they yeah. can do anything on television. It doesn't matter. You just watch them. They're, they're compelling. These yes. people aren't them. They just, right. they just seem awkward on TV. And they just seem like they can't relax into what they're doing. And the show seems really contrived, especially mm. when they slip in some product placement like they'll have you know today with dinner we'll be having san pellegrino water and they show you the picture of the san pellegrino water huh. <clears throat> you know they don't pull that kind of stuff off and as well i really think that they could invest a little bit a little bit of coin in music that's just not so awful can music and the yeah. stupid effects with the with the flames little effects and stuff don't like that very much, but we watched it and it was entertaining. Right. But it probably works. I mean, it probably is successful to audiences. I, I think it's successful um, for, for all the reasons that we, we talked about. It's fun. Right. And, right. You know, all um, those shows, they, they, they draw you in. It's interesting that um, they haven't, I wonder if they've had any um, workshops in performance to be on the show. It's a very possible they haven't. And yet, as a restaurateur, you are dealing with the public. You are a PR person in many ways. But it, that camera lifestyle is very disconcerting dis, dis to be on camera like that. Maybe they just can't get past it. Have they always been the judges? Yeah. Yeah, they've done it for seven seasons. Interesting. And to me, I think Michael Bonancini has relaxed into it a little bit more than the others. Mm. Uh, but it may have more to do with the director than... Yeah than yeah. the judges who, who want them to behave in a certain way or mm -hmm. react in a certain way or use a certain tone. And they try to get excitement around, you know, anybody who cooks can figure out how to do it with it. This is what the time limit that you have and you do yeah. it within the time limit. And it, the time is really rarely an issue. Right. And is what they, they get the time, it, the time is running out music. Dun, 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 dun. Yes. And then you get Elvin goes, time is running out. Is it possible that something in your aesthetic does not enjoy 
um, I don't want to say entertainment because I know you like entertainment, <laughs> does not enjoy formulaic um, situations. Often, in, yes, that's true. In that's fair. And uh, there's certain things that trigger and, and also, you. Also, to, to me, cooking <laughs> is not a competition. Okay, now you're getting into steak territory. Steak's territory is on these competition shows. He absolutely, I told you last week, he had a fit when RuPaul chose Willow Pill over um, Lady Camden. <laughs> and you know, when I mention this, people are like, why did he like Lady Camden so much? <laughs> and I say, well, there's nothing more drag queen than having a fit at the drag queen competition. <laughs> so... <laughs> Stag has his own inner drag queen there. I mean, so the fun thing is it doesn't that. matter whether it's a competition about cooking or drag queens. The right. shows are the same. They they use the same formulas. Sure. I don't and they just problem. insert different personalities. Sure. And I'm sure at some point they may find some variation. Someone might come in and innovate that presentation. I just go with it. I, I suppose if I was going to do a reality show competition, maybe I would think of something different. But it's kind of like saying Price is Right, Jeopardy, and that, well, wait, they're all formulaic. Well, they are formulaic. They have a system. It's comforting to go into that system. Yes, I'm not against the, the Jeopardy formula. Right. I mean, I don't get excited about it particularly, right. but I watched it when yeah. um, when recently we had a contestant from Toronto who won. Oh, Matea. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that a that was unbelievable. We have. I mean, about she was chaos. just she was a spark plug and was so much fun to watch. Oh my god, she really was delightful. We haven't talked about her. I know you mentioned if I asked me, I think a few weeks ago, if I was watching, and yes, I was watching. And um, oh, I was so sad when she didn't stay going on it. But you know, every oh, she lost in. by a dollar. A dollar. It, it that was kind of exciting too. The last couple of episodes was that she barely won the the episode before. Because the other person had never known the answer to Citizen Kane. I was, right. my heart, I was stressing so much in that uh, penultimate episode of Mateo that uh, I could hardly breathe. And there she went. She did a very, she didn't do a big bet, but she did know Citizen Kane. And they said she had a 91% correct answers. They do all these stats now or else Ken Jennings is really into it. But she had That's a, a lot of information stuffed in your head it i could is. barely remember retain like a few fiddle tunes right she also was very good at not answering she she did ring in and make a mistake but often she did not ring in when she oh i see so in. you don't know you don't rather than just yeah. to ring in and say something you don't i get to it take okay. a risk but a lot of her answers were understanding the questions because the questions sometimes do have um classical hints in them they do sometimes have the answer right. to the yes. question. If you can put the logic down to the year, location, and what pops in your mind might just be the right answer. Um, what were we talking about? Cooking shows. Oh, I love Top Chef. I've been watching that, and they were coming to almost to the finale, and it's been fantastic. Um, I love it that some of the chefs actually have restaurants, and you might be able to go to them. I think that's also really good, which makes it kind of an advertising for restaurants. Um, the, the Top Chef has great performers great people on there they're very camera savvy um tom from american craft i think the first couple of seasons he wasn't so great he was a restaurateur maybe he had trouble um being on camera but he's he's learned and he's really good now at the other thing that he did funny was when he first started on top chef people went nuts for the way he ate he holds his fork 
parallel standing up with fingers sticking out. He eats in the most unusual way and people went nuts on the internet kind of judging him. Right. But he continues to eat that way. And it must have been just the way he was raised. And, um, you know, it's not very fine tuned. Like I eat with I have a fork in my left hand and my knife in my right. Uh, that's I would have been upside of the head if I didn't learn how to do that when I was a kid. You know, you know the how, one question that, yeah. that I have is that, you know, when I look at, say, the judges for MasterChef Canada, these are people who have devoted their lives to cooking and developing restaurants. They really have their chops. They really know their stuff. Mm -hmm. Super knowledgeable people. And yet they choose to be game show hosts. Well, either rather than there. or in addition to their regular job. I think and it's an addition. I, I kind of think it's because it's a recognition that running a restaurant is really, really hard. It's yes. way easier to be a game show host and be a celebrity. Yes, even if they're having trouble with the camera work or with the director getting that performative, uh, being performers and entertainers. Um, yeah, but also, don't you think it's cool? It, it does put, people love food and you're learning so much when you watch these game shows. So Stag and I have watched a number together. He doesn't watch most of them with me, but he did watch, he'll watch Project Runway, but he gets, and then the designer shows, um, but he goes nuts when the critiques happen. He loses, he's just so angry at the judges. He thinks they're unfair and cruel. And I'm like, well, you know what? I mean, didn't you do art critiques in school? Sometimes you are saying something that you feel about it and you do want to do it as gentle as possible. And I think they are doing it gentle. And also sometimes one person does screw up. They don't do as good a design as they did the week before. And it's time for them to go home. Uh, it is a game. At the end of the day, it is a it is a competition. Yes, it sucks. If you're on Top Chef or Project Runway um, or RuPaul, your life is your career is improved. Bottom line, you've already had a massive job improvement. Now you can probably get money just from being on Top Chef. You can probably get money to open a restaurant. So it is helping on that um, creative part most contestants say that they learn so much from working with other um their peers that it's like you know a learning curve is insane on these i'm shows. sure that's the case yes it's got to be just so much fun it's like when you know one of my highest times was even though it was solowit was working with our friend martina doing a solowit a Lewitt painting art piece at the AGO and being there every day, all day, something does happen to your brain. It, it really infuses you with a, a comfort for creative, being creative because you're just focused on it all day long. It feels so mm. good. Um, but yes, yeah, so Stag will have a fit about it, but did you ever watch the art competition shows? Oh no, I, I draw the line. Well, Somewhere you have to draw a line in the sand and that's it. I don't do art competitions. Yeah, and I think it would be too hard on you. I, I think you would be so angry. I loved I couldn't do music of... competitions either. Oh yeah, I enjoyed that. I watched American Idol. I watched the dancing shows. In fact, there's a new season of So You Think You Can Dance coming out. I recommend you watch it if you can. It's so juicy. I don't think I can dance. I yeah. know I can't dance. Johnny can't <laughs> dance. He has a paper in his shoe as the tune goes. It's there. really good. I'm I'm beyond excited about So You Think You Can Dance. But the art one was really interesting because, you know, obviously it's in a field we work in and they're giving them eight hours to make something. And that I'm like, oh, my God, that is really tough. 
that is very tough for most people. And sometimes I didn't think the art was that good. Sometimes I thought it was fantastic. But I loved listening to the judges talk about art. And there's probably three, there's probably four art competition shows that I really, there's not that many. There's, there's four I can think of. And one was on Bravo and one was on a different um, network. And it, I really liked it because they had things like they had somebody from the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. They had a musician who liked art come on, the guitarist from Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, come on and, and give his opinion about art. So it was really exciting. Very exciting. Speaking of competition, <laughs> what else? Um, I've watched a lot of stuff since I talked to you. I meant to tell you about, um, to recommend watching The Last Blockbuster. It's on Netflix and it's... it's, you, it's you know, uh, Sheila was watching that. And, oh. and so I did uh, tune in to parts of yeah. some of the episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's just one, just one episode. Is it just one episode? I know yeah. I, I saw some of it. Yeah. And I saw, I thought there was more than one episode or maybe I mean, she just watched parts of it in different days. Yeah, I believe it's be. a documentary called The Last Blockbuster. It's about Blockbuster Video. Yes, I know what it's about. I, yeah. As I say, I did, I did see part of it and it was pretty interesting. Yeah, for sure. yeah I found it really interesting too. I, did, I thought that Blockbuster collapsed because of Netflix, but that's not true at all. It was because they had poor management and they had lots of, lots of, subscribers and they were doing very well they had even some very good competition with netflix but it was the uh the crash in 2007 2008 they couldn't hmm. sustain that uh, i thought that was pretty interesting um i also watched the rise and fall of abercrombie and fitch a store that is like a preppy store that i never would have walked in in a million years that i didn't like their clothes and um turns out that they had a terribly racist um business model <laughs> oh really yeah and a sexist and um you know i don't even know what else you would say they would only hire good-looking people according to their idea of good-looking lots and, of businesses like that yeah yeah well that's true yeah that's true i don't know I, I guess that would be a very complicated um interesting study to do is how far does that go um yeah but anyway i watched that that was pretty cool and um i would recommend both of them so that's why I wanted to mention it. <laughs> Meanwhile, yes. Have you been feeling an unbearable weight? Yes, I have. And I'm me, I want to it. I love it. And I've been holding it my whole life. I adore the ground he walks on uh, as a performer. And this movie was made. Oh my God, made in heaven is all I can say. It's a lot of fun. Huh? <laughs> and the, the movie is the unbearable weight of massive talent. Yes. Starring Nicolas Cage who plays an actor named Nicolas Cage. That's right. He plays but two actors. He also, he plays he also two plays Nicky, Nicky Cage, Cage. The younger is... Nicolas Cage. <laughs> wow, they did a great job with that. So, so much the story fun. of Nick Cage, who is a famous actor, and he's not getting the roles he really wants. He wants to take on a more meaningful role. For artistic fulfillment. For artistic fulfillment. He's definitely... He and makes more money. it clear that he, he is a, he wants to make money. 
He needs more money too. He yeah. needs more money because he's got a few alimonies to pay. We yeah. hear or bills to pay. He's he's been staying in a hotel for a year, and his bill is six hundred thousand dollars. Yes. So, <laughs> so he needs to pay that. And he doesn't. He his agent, played by the great Neil Patrick Harris, says, "I've got a job for you at a birthday party." He goes, "Forget it. I'm not doing that. It's a million dollars. You have to do it." Oh, I'm not doing it. When he gets to his hotel room, he's locked out. So he has to take the job going to a birthday party. Plus, he um, he does do a kind of soliloquy. Soliloquy. How do you say it? Soliloquy. Soliloquy or a monologue. I'll say monologue. <laughs> to the camera or to the air. It doesn't matter. It's Nicolas Cage. He can do whatever he wants. And he talks about how um, desperate he is to... Um, to work and he's a working actor that's his job he has taken the rules that people have judged him on because he wants to always work nine to five that's his job so as much as people judge him and there's been tons of jokes about his bad movies um most people would say though even in the bad movie he's been good it's a, michael kane had a bit of that too you know he used to take roles too i think oh, he yeah. was one yeah, of those for working, sure. look i'm an actor i'll take a role i got bills to pay so, um, yeah, so he lands up having to do this birthday party. And the birthday party is hosted by like a rich millionaire playboy type guy who also happens to be an international arms dealer, apparently. Apparently. And his name is Pedro Pascal, the actor. And he's oh, from and Game he's of Thrones. He's great. He's amazing. He, he makes the movie as well. And he's from Game he of Thrones. He almost steals the movie. He almost steals the movie, and I thought it was smart of them to hire somebody from Games, Game of Thrones for whatever reason to bring that fan base in was really good. Plus, it makes it a buddy movie. Well, it is a buddy and movie. And really, it is a buddy movie. It is a buddy movie, and what a love story. This right, is they have a little bromance story. there in Mallorca, Spain. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, because he's an arms trafficker, uh, the CIA gets involved. Right. With Tiffany and it Haddish. turns into an action adventure comedy movie. Right. But at the same time, the two guys having their bromance decide to make a movie together. So it's a movie about Nicolas Cage making a movie with his new buddy. Yeah. There are so many meta references and self-conscious self-referential references in this movie that it's almost impossible to keep track of them and that's also half the fun is Plus, this it, it includes scenes about driving on acid which i thought oh my how God. could they get away with that you would think that people would be outraged by that that was so funny <laughs> and so wonderful i was also kind of happy because you know quentin tarantino had an acid scene in once upon a time in hollywood with brad pitt taking acid do you remember that? I don't remember that. Yeah, at the end, that's what half the funny part is, is that he's high on acid. Oh, um, and you're God. like, oh, no, we know what's going to happen. Right. And now right. we know he's wasted. So anyway, these two guys taking acid together is amazing. But they definitely fall in love. And it's also, as a bromance, I, it goes right back to one of the most original and centuries-old bromance, um, Don Quixote. So sure, there's a, I could see that. <laughs> yeah, because there's this whole thing. Nicolas Cage has some of the best words. I can't tell you how loud I laughed when he described his acting style as nouveau shamanic. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got this thing and he'll suddenly break in because he's Nicolas Cage. He will break in and explain why something's so important and mythical. And he'll go into a character. And one of the funniest things is that something will happen 
like either his wife will show up or his wife is mad at him or his one of the guys at the um, one of the bad guys. And he will go. You see him go into all of a sudden method acting or nouveau shamanic acting and he will start to be able to do something um he passes out at one point and the cia is watching him and they've got an earphone in him and they can't wake him up he's on this terrible medicine and he he fell asleep even reaching for the anecdote and all of a sudden tiffany haddish who plays the cia agent very well she goes action and he wakes up that's a great scene (laughs) so there's so many inside jokes and self and references yes. about Hollywood. And there's an awful well, lot of two about... movies, particularly, they talk about. Yes. And I think we should talk a little bit about them. Yeah, I One do too. It's The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, right. 1920 German silent film, uh, really one of the earliest horror films and a huge influencer on early cinema. Definitely. And so they both love this film. <laughs> and they both, it again. turns out that they, they love another film. Paddington 2, which I have never even heard of. I have to, don't you feel like you have to see it now? I do have to see it. Uh, yeah, because, so maybe know, we'll talk about that research. Week. It's a live action comedy, yeah. animated comedy. Um, and it's based on a children's character, Paddington Bear. Yeah. And it's considered by many critics to be one of the best films of the 2010s. <laughs> Go figure, well, when did this happen? Where was I? I? How well, did I miss Paddington 2? I never even heard of Paddington 1. Paddington 1 was, was um, I, I saw Paddington 1 and it was very good. Um, but I didn't even know there was a sequel Paddington 2 myself. And I think that's why it's so important to stay in touch with um, all kinds of people in your life. Um, I don't know. I'm surprised my family didn't recommend it. I'm sure that my um, daughter and grandson have seen it and I don't know how it skipped by. I'm definitely think we need to talk about it next week. We need to watch it and talk about it. I, I was thinking the same thing. I've got to watch Paddington too. Oh, I don't know totally. where to find it, but. I, I, it. It's such a great sight gag a couple of times about Paddington too. It comes up a couple of times. So it's really, really good. And it also references, there's an open in the early part of the movie. They talk about what has he done lately? Nicholas Cage. Well, he did Crudes too. So there's a really fun part where they say this. And, you know, this is where it comes in the snobbery about sequels. But sequels, I mean, apparently Toy Story 4 is like a killer movie as well. And, you know, when you're not watching. Sequels are great. No, they're not all. None first single movies are all great. True. So it is, it depends on. How much that was a segue. You... I was just I was trying oh, to segue. Yeah, <laughs> okay, thanks. All right. But I highly recommend. Oh, and I'm getting ready to disagree with you. We're gonna throw I know, I figured. This. Oh my god. So I warned Candy about this. Oh my god, I'm so shocked. We uh uh Sheila and I I've been I've been avoiding the Matrix resurrections, and Sheila wanted to see it, so we tried to watch it last night. Man. What a turkey. Wow. First of all, half the first half of the film, all their do the actors are explaining the plot. Like you know there's a problem when the actors have to keep explaining the plot. And as well, we know the story. If do the you, sequel the isn't going to eclipse the, the original. What's the story? Well, the uh, the matrix story, right? It's it's what all one it? story. What is the matrix? The Matrix is our reality. No, it's not. 
it's a created reality and it's fake and it's a control system. Oh, okay. I thought the matrix was how we really were. No, no. The, the matrix is a control system. Okay. And um, basically what happens in the first matrix, it, the, the fourth matrix isn't going to be interesting unless you go in as, a, as you were already prepared. We've been told what the matrix is and we've been told that we're all asleep. We're asleep right? yeah. and we're living in a dream and we yeah. don't know it and we don't right. know it. So this is. So, so Keanu Reeves has done that, been there, done that, has the t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Right. And they've got mm-hmm. him tucked away as a as a video game designer in right. the Matrix. Right. Right. Because and he's, so he's been found. Yes, he's been sacrificed. He sacrificed his own freedom because of love to save other people. OK, so right. he did that in, I think, the Matrix three. And what happened was the, the control system got a hold of him again, put him back into the pod and right. he's been sleeping. We don't want Buddha being put in there we don't want an enlightened being we don't want anyone we don't want ourselves to be put in there so it's really important to realize how bad that is that he was put back in there um they do find him and for me my opinion is the way that they start out as you say explaining the plot over and over again i don't see it that way at all i see it as very clever um way the warner brothers were going to make that film whether or not the original directors and writers were going to make it so what happened was um, she decided to go ahead. One of the siblings decided to go ahead. If they're going to make it anyway, I'm going to be in, in, in involved in it. And she got her friend, David Mitchell, who is a novelist. I saw them doing a reading together, an interview together at the music box about, I don't know, four or five years ago. <clears throat> it's really fantastic. And um, so they decided they'll write it. What they did was they made the trick on Neo, on on Keanu Reeves' character, is they made him believe, they programmed into his mind that he had created the Matrix movies and game as a video game. So that he could never, this is an enlightened person who knows that this is all bullshit. They've basically taken Julian Assange or Chelsea Manning, and they've programmed that person to not know that they are Chelsea Manning and that they expose the CIA and the yeah. government for what they did. So, so in that way, when you go into the matrix and you see that, that's a very painful experience to see him locked up like that and not knowing who he is. Wasn't for and me. Not for Wasn't you. for me. It was just a reason to do the sequel to me. I just didn't buy into that. And, you know, as one critic said, red pill, blue pill, sleeping pill. Fair enough. I understand that. We, I, we were bored and we actually didn't finish it. Yeah, I'm we, sorry uh, we moved on to MasterChef. Yeah. Well, for me, I think it was an extremely fascinating film to see them do a fourth film up, as you say, about something that Keanu's done this over and over again. How many times do we have to do this? Well, philosophically, when you realize that you're living in a control system, which Sartre tried to tell us, um, William Burroughs tried to tell us, Buddha tried to tell us, Oh, so it's okay to retread it if it's an important enough story for you. No, no, no. You're missing the point here. It's not about retreading it. No, no, no. Let me fine tune this. Okay. We are asleep. That When you wake up once and know that you're living in a control system, um, there was a really good scene that comes in when he he finally is out of the pod. They release him out of the pod. Now he's into the the craft with the ship with, um, I think her name's Saya. 
and they have a scene where Saya comes in and he's just woken up and he's talking about the existential crisis and what it feels like when you know that you, this is a control system and it's still happening and there's no change. So it's really about being either an activist or someone who wants to live um, a, a very conscious life, an ethical life. Yeah, and, that's fine. Yeah. This was a very interesting movie. Well, I can imagine that. I think it probably is. I, I also, don't know how people who would feel that are involved in that storyline would feel. Sorry. One of the reasons why I thought The Matrix was so fabulous when it happened hmm. is that in pursuing the story, they also had really, really fantastic visuals. Mm -hmm. And in this film, they had, I'm going to call the visuals more ponderous would be the word I'd use. Mm -hmm. it, it, the thought that came to my mind was the first Star Trek movie where let's show the ship going around the planet. Right. It had lots of that sort of more ponderous kind of visuals, which I just didn't think worked very well. I didn't think it drove the storyline very well. I wasn't buying into any of it, really. Yeah, the interesting part that's funny about both those movies, uh, the, the, the Nick Cage movie and this one, is that they both have a little to do with um, Hollywood being a control system. And that's what all the, what you call re um, revisiting the plot is really, they actually say that Warner Brothers is a Yes, sellout. they do. That's true. And um, so it's got a lot of that. I, I thought about, that was a pretty funny reference. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to give you that one. And Point I was glad candy. <laughs> and Never the mind, there's already four points, Eugene. Point candy for that one. Maybe. I, I mean, this, this is not a winning thing. This is an ethical or spiritual <laughs> thing. And whether or not this spiritual movie is your cup of tea. And I think I need to know what other spiritual movies you have enjoyed. Oh, um, I see. You're suggesting that I don't like it because I don't like spiritual films. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm suggesting it's, if you don't like a comedy, I wouldn't say that you don't like any comedies. Well, that's what say you're saying you, about this one. Huh? That's what you're saying about this. You're, you're, you're implying that, no. oh, I must not like spiritual That's not what films. I was asking. I was asking, what do you like of something that is about philosophy? What philosophical movie? And these are not easy movies in general. So they often fail and they often dissatisfy. They're, they're very often not satisfying unless an audience is into it. And they don't deliver. One of the funny things that's funny about the technology in The Matrix is that technology, and you're saying special effects, is that's ironic because it's really also about that we're looking at the control system. These technologies are the control system. And mm -hmm. so is Hollywood. Yeah, but we got that in the first movie. Right. But do you understand why they would make why it would be important to have a reawakening? Because if you were on I, I think because they could make hundreds of millions of dollars. Okay, yes, I, I understand that in terms of Hollywood. I understand that. But in terms of the actual fact of being reawakened, I'm talking about philosophically. If you are into, let's say, let's just take existentialism. Existentialism does what happens when you realize that you're in an existential crisis and that the world, is, or if you are even if you're even if you're practicing yoga, um, what do you do when you find out that this is an illusion? That this is made up. It's completely fake. Even you and I talking right now, it's completely an illusion. Um, we're not really at deaths. It doesn't exist. It's completely a projection. What if that was true? 
Um, and it's not that it has to be that a government or machines are doing it. It could simply be nature is doing it. Nature or the Big Bang has created this. And sure, um, I get you. Can, it's a compelling story. Well, I'm not talking about the Matrix now. I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Matrix. I'm talking about that notion where Sartre, you know, had a wake up moment. He came out and he went, oh, my God, how I live in this life is up to me to decide how to live. And you can have that awakening. The sleeper, a call to the sleeper doesn't end once. The call to the sleeper, the, the shitty part is, is that it happen, It needs to happen over and over again. Unless you know you're in that sleep vibe over and over again, you so can't So you resist. think that idea is important enough that you'll be going to watch Matrix 9 the next day? I, I don't Matrix? Think, I think we've changed. We've dropped the Matrix now. I think we're on a philosophical discussion now. I don't think it matters about the matrix. I think that the philosophical discussion matters way more than the matrix. The first matrix proposed this just like Buddha did, just like Sartre did, that we're living in an illusion. This is not real. So everything that we're involved in, we're giving it um, power that doesn't have to exist. And, and the, and what. And so if you want to make a film about those ideas yeah why not make a film about those ideas that doesn't that doesn't retread the same ground with the same actors and the I, same story for the fourth time in a row yeah i guess i could agree with you on that i could agree with you i and I, the reason that she did it was that she they were going to make it without her so she wanted to make sure that it still had the concept of resisting um because she was afraid that um, warner brothers would not include that anti-technology, anti-corporate um, thought in there. When the Matrix think, came out- Do you out, think it, it hit the mark that way? Do you think, do you think uh, that, that people who have gone to see it are coming out saying, oh, now I see? No one's saying now I see. The waker, although I guess you could say that when you wake up from a dream. The, po the point that I find interesting about the fourth movie and sequels is that we do want to- to have that experience again. And with this sense of existentialism or with a spiritual crisis or with the meaning of life, it isn't a stagnant thing. It's nothing that our aesthetic can control or intellectual. So I can understand that the matrix was not intellectually stimulating like the first one was. I, I definitely can understand that. It is also very typical of, of um, control systems to to not allow that reawakening to happen. So philosophically or spiritually, you do need to wake up all the time. You'll never know when your ego is taken over because even the ego will get philosophical and will try to control. So, oh, so you're sensitive about this film because the film is about ideas about our reality that you hold dear and you don't, you don't want me to criticize those ideas. Oh, no, no, no. You, I, I want you to criticize those ideas. I don't hold them dear. I don't hold them dear. I don't need the matrix to be the only movie that would reflect that. Um, Groundhog Day does a great job of it too. Okay. There's many, there's a few movies out there that do a really great job of portraying reality. For me, the matrix is a documentary. It's not even a fantasy film. It's absolutely, but it's not hold dear. You can't hold the nature of reality dear. It's not, it's not comfortable that way. Um, how do you portray it in a movie? How do you portray it in literature? Um, here's, here's the bottom line for me yeah. is I, I think that they did such a good job with that film. Yeah. Every time 
they do a sequel, they take away from what they've done and they water it down. They don't make it more, more strong or they don't really elucidate more. I think they take away. They just make it more stuff. Yeah, I can understand that. I suppose that um, I, I can understand what you're saying. I think the, um, the part with the second and third film is it's acting out that Cohen um, before enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. So there really isn't any choice that you're going to still do this same stuff. This We're living in this realm and you're still going to do that stuff. Um, so I do understand that. Yeah, the Matrix didn't give us any new plot twists or any um, reveals. The first Matrix has such a powerful uh, portrayal of awakening that it's pretty hard to follow that. I would agree. And I think also... Keanu Reeves sounds a lot like Batman. Oh, was he the has, volume bad on uh, for you? He has yeah, I was in the theater. I was in the theater, so it was okay. Is halting, just like Batman. There's nothing that Keanu does wrong, <laughs> ever, ever, ever. And you know, for me, the movie Immeasurable with Nick Cage had the same feeling the first time I went to the Matrix. The whole movie, I was so happy for Nick Cage to have that movie. I was so happy he was mm -hmm. being utilized and out there. The same for Keanu Reeves, who had been hated his whole career, except for us diehards who loved him from the minute we saw him. And who hated him? I loved him in Speed. Oh, yeah, I know you loved him in Speed. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people did not like Keanu Reeves, and they thought he couldn't act. They would often criticize that. So I well, was so I, I hate to say, but in, in, in Matrix... Uh, uh, resurrections he's not demonstrating what a great actor he is i don't think disagree and that's okay we can disagree okay, fair enough. Um, do I we're think allowed to disagree every, yeah do i think everybody should see the matrix resurrections maybe not i think if you enjoy um practicing um resisting the government resisting corporations if you are enjoy if you enjoy being woken up and you enjoy philosophical dialogue about those things and about the nature of reality, then maybe you will like it. You're right. I think some people are going to be, I don't know how the movie did critic wise. I really have no clue. I do know that a philosopher I was listening to, um, we talked about her. I forgot her name right now. Um, David in Australia, who sent us an email, he had mentioned her at one point. She does say that the resurrections was a massive disappointment for her. I think that they, I think that some people feel like it should have had more resistance and more obvious um, I don't know. Um, it, um, I don't know. Maybe more plot, maybe more plot, maybe something new happening in it. It's really, you know, I suppose it's a disappointment in that it's really more of the same. And also having, having a lookalike play Morpheus, uh, and then having a story around it saying, oh yeah, but he's the, uh, the manufactured, um, lookalike. I mean, it's just, to me, it's like, oh, you couldn't get the real guy. Yeah, I didn't. That didn't bother me at all. You know, the uh, the original Oracle passed away, and they had to get another Oracle and explain that in the other movies too. So, um, I, I that didn't bother me. I found him pretty interesting. What I liked about that special effects on Morpheus was, you know, those things you could buy at like Den for Men. I've what never those, been to a Den for Men. Well, I don't I'm know. trying to think of the sharper edge that used to be in the malls, and it was a store catered for. What do you get a man? They they oh, they, like cutting guys. keys and wallets and crap yeah. like that. Yeah, oh, yeah, they, yeah, they yeah, had all those. that, or then they'd have like a mini pool table. That That's what men a... need. Stuff stuff that men need and men use. Real men. 
Yes, I, I agree. shop in malls. I agree. It was completely sexist store. Um, and, and whatever, and I've just never gone in. So I, yeah. Uh, well, I did go in. And you probably buy Zippo lighters too. You can also get this at the Science Center too, I suppose. It's a thing that has a whole. I, I can't believe I don't have one to show you right now because we had one in the closet. It's a thing with all these nails. They look like nails, and when you put your hand in it, the nails sink, and then the shape of your hand is there. Yes. <laughs> You I know what I'm talking that. about those things? Yeah. But yes, they there's actually made... a tool that you can buy at, at, at your local hardware store that that does that um, oh. to uh, to get the shape of a contour. So if you need to build something in the shape of a contour, you put this against it and oh. the nails go yeah. against the contour and create the shape for you. You could draw oh. the shape. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, pretty common tool. Yeah, pretty cool. Um all right. So anyway, I like that he was made out of that. I thought that was really cool that, to see that manifested because it really made me feel um, emotional about art. When you bond with something that's inanimate and you have a sense of it being a sentient being, much like I do about um, Tony the Tiger or the Michelin Man. <laughs> I have um, or um, animated um you know, something that's not real and then you get in contact with it and you have a, you feel you have a sense of their personality. <laughs> I can't explain it. But it did trigger that feeling in me. They're really, I need to create a word for that where you feel a relationship with something that's like a robot or Frankenstein or something, you know? <laughs> there probably is a word for it. There that. probably is a word and I need to figure out what that is. Yeah. And All we right, should so give we, out our, our email address here because yes. there's going to be some folks who want to take me to task about no. my criticism of no, I don't uh, think the so. Matrix Resurrections. And I know I probably deserve it. I'm probably being really harsh and thoughtless about this. And you can take me to task by writing us at the agency.podcast at gmail.com. And you can right. say, listen, bud, Candy was right. So what I want to know, though, what I want to know in general is what kind of movie about the nature of reality do you love? That's very self-consciously about the nature of reality. I love be, all kinds of movies. I, I would not, like to hear them. Don't you don't have to think about it for a day or two until next oh, week. Yeah, or I'll, text I'll, me or I'll think about that. Yeah. I mean, I just want to compare it to what you do like in that wow. genre. It's just like if you hate Apocalypse Now, well, what war movie did you like? I don't like war movies mostly. Well, I was just randomly thinking of a movie. Um, and actually, which funny, is, funnily enough, is there a bad coming of age film? Is there a bad coming enough, of age film? I didn't like Apocalypse Now. <laughs> no comments. <laughs> I know. I know. You just, this, what can you do with me, right? Oh, this, but you're just reminding me of something. Something I started watching. I'm on episode three of The Offer. Have you heard of The Offer? What's The Offer? Tell me about oh, it. This is like meatloaf and grilled cheese and maybe even truffles on French fries. Truffle sauce on truffle oil on French fries. It's so delicious. The Offer is about the behind the story. This well, we're really talking about um, behind Hollywood today. Um, maybe we'll call it behind Hollywood. I don't know. So this story, well, Hollywood's the Hollywood's behind. Huh? Or Hollywood's behind. <laughs> <laughs> so this story is about the making the production process of making the godfather 
And it's about Al Rudy centrally, the guy who produced it and how he landed up producing it, how the Italian American community in New York and maybe other places totally did not want the movie to be made. They said it was um, attacking their identity. It was cruel and it was not, you know, politically correct for Italian Americans making. Especially since there is no mafia. Right. Exactly. And some of it was the mafia not wanting this movie to be made. Frank Sinatra didn't want allegedly allegedly. Anyway, so it's a lot of fun. It feels a little bit like winning time, but not as upbeat crazy as winning time. And in fact, I have no idea if it's a good show or not. I can't tell you on a scale of one to 10, but I am loving every minute of it. It, it might not be a good show. <laughs> okay. The topic is so tasty. And the guy playing Francis Ford Coppola is delightful. The guy that's playing Mario Puzo is really good. They have um, Emma. No, I forgot her name. Oh, damn it. I love her. She's from um, Ted Lasso. Um, she's in it. Um, there's are, are we seeing Hollywood turning into introspective, in, turning into itself, like well, w- looking at itself? Well, this is a little bit of what I'm trying to say about The Matrix and Nick Cage, that the common thing that they have is that the relationship to the struggle with reality is that Nick Cage needs to find, he needs to check his ego and measure his ego. And they create his ego in the personage of young Nicky Cage. And he does not want to be that self. He he wants to be a better person than that and not selfish. And Hollywood, It actually made me feel a lot better about Nick Cage watching this movie. <laughs> absolutely. Because you know what? There's no way out of this unless you accept that, the, that Hollywood has created its own nature of reality that's a control system that affects all of us and affects the actors, and it cultivates narcissism and addiction and all does, of those yeah. things. And what I would call on my path, I would call it the ego. I know that's getting a little bit tiresome to hear about the ego, but the ego is that part. They will not, it will not accept that this is not, that this life is not, that this life is an illusion and that everything that you've done and spent your time on without being awake is cultivated by that control system. And you need to face the control system wherever it is, whether it's Hollywood, whether it's technology, whether it's um, movie making artifice or yourself. If you are a victim of your own ego, you're, you're not having peace of mind. You can't have peace of mind. And Nicolas Cage does not have peace of mind. And so in this Hollywood examination, the uh, creator of the offer made the, he created the movie, The Player. Do you remember that one? I'm vaguely familiar with it. Yeah, it was with Tim Robbins and, and it was really an expose, spoof, satire, criticism of Hollywood. And um, a very successful one and very good. And I find those things a good metaphor of our relationship to our own lives and ego. Um, that we've created our own mini Hollywoods that we're um, in and we're not living as authentically and comfortably as we could at peace. Unless you are, unless you are. So, um, yeah, so the offer is really good. Yeah, it's all behind the scenes that um, no one wants to, you know, him trying to get this movie together. And Francis Ford Coppola didn't want to do it, which I was surprised because I thought he was always, I thought he got the script, but he didn't want to do it either until he realized he owed money to Hollywood. So it's a very squid game. 
Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're held under this thing that their lives, their own egos have put them into this position of jeopardy. And now they've got to go and fix it within that system that put them in that, um, gave them the wherewithal of their egos to mess up their lives. It, it, it to me, philosophically is super fascinating and an amazing um, metaphor to think about. Um, and about identity and who we are and, you know, and there in Hollywood, we're creating these fake identities, which is again, another wonderful metaphor for faking the, for, uh, for say you and I, you and I don't exist. There's not Eugene Knappick and Candy Minx. We're the same person. We're the same animal. We're like mushrooms. We're completely connected like mushrooms, only we can't remember it. We've forgotten it because of the control system. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, I, I want to see if you see the offer, if you get, if you can find it. And I will I'll work on it. Gaslit. How's Gaslit? Um, Gaslit is really good. It's it's fascinating. It's The biggest thing for Gaslit for me is that it's like an acting class. Uh, the acting is just really superb in it uh, and it's funny and it it has a, a pretty interesting perspective on those times and the individuals mm. and mm. and you start to see them in a slightly different light right right well I might I might just add the word uh, another way to put a, a good spin on this thing with Nick Cage with the offer with and the matrix is um, we're being gaslit by the control systems there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, I wanted to take a minute because I, I haven't reported on the progress of my fiddle. Oh, good, good. And, and I wanted to, I wanted to mention that you know when um, when my brother passed, um, I thought I'd better take a, a couple of weeks and not use sharp power tools because it was a very you know, sharp tools because it's a very emotional time. Very good and idea. I thought, I will wreck this thing or I will cut myself. Yes. And so I kind You're of so put it smart. aside for, for a couple of weeks and I'm starting to get, get back into the carving of the inside of the bottom plate. So I've drilled the um, I've drilled holes. I've made like a topo map of how thick the various areas of the bottom plate should be. Mm. And then I've used basically a little drill press in order to drill holes down to the correct depth. And now I'm carving down until I can't see the holes anymore. And then I'll be close. Mm. Meanwhile, I, I was playing the old, the old family fiddle, which was my brother's fiddle for <laughs> yeah. 60 years. Yeah. He, I have it because, and I'm playing the fiddle because my brother had said, I'm going to get rid of this thing. I'm going to sell it. Maybe it's worth a lot of money. I'm going to sell it. Hmm. And it turns out it's not worth a lot of money. It's a, it's a German copy of a Magini uh, uh, fiddle, which is a, a fiddle which is slightly bigger than a Strad model and also has a double purfling. So it has two uh, inlays going around it. And this particular fiddle it it had a very opaqueish reddish color you couldn't even see the grain of the spruce on the top and it had a lot of areas that were blackening and i thought you know i bet you it's dirt i think it just hasn't been cleaned in 65 years mm. so 
I started to 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 clean this fiddle. So I, I took all the fittings off, the chin rest and the tailpiece and the strings and the nut, and uh, took the pegs out. And I started to clean the fiddle using uh, water with a little bit of dish soap and a soft cloth. And I gently cleaned the fiddle, and that got a like a tremendous amount of, wow. of dirt off the fiddle. I thought, well, this is oh. something else. Oh. Maybe I can do a little bit more. Now, now, this fiddle has been bounced around quite a bit over the years, and it's got lots of lots of little flaws and little dents that have dirt deep into the dents. And I thought, there's no way I can realistically restore that without filling those dents or replacing parts of the wood. And I don't think I want to take it to that level, but I thought maybe what I could do is do something to refresh the finish and make it a little bit nicer. So I got myself some polishing compound in the automotive section of my local Canadian tire. And this is stuff that's used to clean and polish really dirty automobiles. Oh. Uh, and what it is, is it's essentially a mild abrasive. It's pumice mixed up with something to form a paste. And so I, I proceeded to use this stuff and my finger and a soft cloth to clean the fiddle further. And it took off, well, a remarkable amount of the dirt. I got much of the, the black stuff off, although not all of it. And then I took some 800 grit sandpaper and I sanded the whole thing very carefully. And now what I'm doing is I'm coating it. I'm rubbing on thin layers of boiled linseed oil, which is the finish that my uncle Eugene Napick, the violin maker, used for his instruments. Mm. Um, and I have to put one more coat. I have to do a very, very light sanding with really, 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 really fine sandpaper. And I think one more coat, but already it looks much, much more handsome than it did. And it turns out the opaque red color had a lot to do with the amount of dirt that was fused to it. And once I got the dirt out, you could start to see the richness of the wood. So this is oh, cool. teaching me about finishing on the violin. And it's kind of a side project um, for the fiddle that I'm making. So I think in the next couple of days, I'm going to uh, get that finished, reset the um, the sound post and, uh, and get that one playing again. But I, I need one more coat, I think, of, uh, of linseed oil rubbed on and then that has to dry and we should be good to go. I can polish it after that. Mm. So that's what I've been up to on the fiddle front. It's slow. The whole business is slow, but every day I learn. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for um, keeping us up on that. And you were so smart to take a break. You know, you're, you, we, we all I forget. was just sure I'd wreck it because I was very emotional. I was close to my brother in a way. Of it's course. funny. My brother and I were very close and we weren't very close at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Uh, but we had a certain kind of bond, which was obviously very deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you took a break, and I'm sorry about all of that. 
Yeah, it's weird. I would say I was close with my parents in many ways and not close with them in many ways. And I think that's more with parents. It's I always feel sad when siblings, you know, I'm so lucky that I'm close to my sister. You, uh, well, you well, always, yeah, you always my, my relationship your with my brother may have been a little bit different than in some cases because he was a dozen years older. Yeah, than yeah, he was a lot. So older. he's very much like a sure. father figure in a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, he probably believed he was right about everything. <laughs> oh, no, he knew he was right about everything. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, that's the older sibling kind of. Which also like my father who used to say, you know, son, I may not always be right, but I'm never wrong. Yes. <laughs> One of these uh, days we'll go through a uh, uh, a podcast without my coming out with a Joe Napakism. It's all right. It's okay. I wish my parents had fun things I could quote them from. <laughs> Can't think of anything. <laughs> God bless them, wherever they are. I know they're in a better place. <laughs> hey, I couldn't check our mail. The Google keeps oh. locking me out of our mail. Oh, my God. Well, I did check a couple days ago, but let me look. Oh, Andy said that he loved the day that I went to check the mail. And I was like, nah, we don't have any mail. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait, <laughs> yeah. So Andy was in town and we had a wonderful, I hadn't seen him in years and years. And he's been an avid um, podcast. podcast How do you two know one another? We met online cool. at a book club online. And then <coughs> we noticed That's we were a, both in Chicago. A very curious like, thing about our times, isn't it? There that we, that we know people <coughs> through this thing, the interwebs normal now it's kind of normal now okay my computer does not like me opening this up right now while we're doing the zoom so i'm going to see if i can do it on 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 my phone. meanwhile i i got my uh my fourth covid shot oh. and i both went the other day oh, on wow. on saturday <laughs> uh, she says and, coughing uh the others i didn't really have a lot of a a, a after effect from yeah. but this one Sunday, I had nothing. I just had no juice, no energy. Uh, my arm was really sore. I was grumpier than usual. Oh. But by the next day, I was fine. Good. <coughs> yeah, Um. I do. Nope. Nope. Nothing. Okay. So now we have monkey pox to worry about. I heard. I think I actually may be vaccinated against monkeypox because uh, I, I think I got a smallpox vaccination for Vietnam. Uh huh. And it would be related to that. I think it is. It's related oh, to smallpox. And, well, yeah. And the the reason why some people are getting it is because we haven't been using in a couple of generations now that that smallpox vaccination, which was de rigueur, hasn't been used because we had eradicated that disease. Right. Allegedly. Right. Wow. Well, no email, but we'll, we might get some this week. We saw a lot of stuff. I'm trying to check my notes one more time to see if I forgot to mention anything. No, okay. I hope you, I hope you can find the um, the offer. I'd be curious to see what you think of it. Uh, like I said, it was just it's just delicious. You know, it's quite it, oh the guy playing. Um, Robert Evans is really, really good. And we know about Robert Evans from the Cotton Club book. Remember, he oh. was portrayed as a very Coke 
a broke yeah. in debt coked out guy but he did make the cotton club and may he wasn't personally involved in murder but there was murder so th- that's another story because the offer is associated with crime as well um with the uh, godfather so it's pretty interesting and the guy playing robert evans is really good and really fun it's a lot of fun right. set in 1972 so it's delicious to look at yeah, you know, I just just came back to me now in that in that book. Another character who did not come off very well was the son from Sanford and Son. Oh my gosh! Wow, is that ever random? I yeah, he was he was in that he was in that book. He was involved in all of that stuff. Yes, he was. Maybe way more than he should have been, like physically involved. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, weird. yeah. Maybe I I don't know, but I think I, he too. Um, he really liked the uh, the cocaine. Yeah, boy, if this thing did well, the offer, I don't see why they couldn't do that Cotton Club story. I really can't believe it's not been made into a movie as well, that book. it's Or you don't have to use the book or use the book, but go and tell the story. It's pretty it is quite a, an involved story, and isn't it? As far as I remember looking when we last talked about it, I believe the woman is still alive. Oh, no, she can't be. I can't tell. She might be. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, all of that part of the story was super interesting. That she lives in Florida. Her marriage was interesting. Her relationships, her coke dealing. I mean, she's, there's so much there that's juicy to your imagination. Yeah. Hey, speaking of juicy. Yeah. I read a spy novel this week. Ooh. And it was a page turner of a spy novel. Um, so I really, I read it in about a, a week or so, which is oh very God. fast for yeah. me. Yeah. Yes, it's a it's a book with a lot of pages, and uh, <laughs> well, it words. is. It's lots of words, lots of words, lots of words in there. It's called The Spy's Life, Ooh. and I saw it because I was in a, a bookstore, and there it was on a display shelf, and it said A Spy's Life, and that just reached out to me and said, yeah. "You need to read this." Yeah, is it by, a new by book? Henry Porter, two thousand and one spy novel? He's a, oh. a British writer. And it's a book that's kind of all about the backstory. Mm. It starts off with the aftermath of a plane crash in which the protagonist is the only survivor of the the plane crash. Mm. And we begin to learn that whatever happened in this plane crash, it has something to do with something in his past. And what did he do for a living in the past? He used to be a spy. And then he left that and became somebody working for the UN looking at water resources or something Mm -hmm. like that, um, and was genuinely not a spy anymore. Uh, But his whole past comes back to haunt him in what I'm going to call a very well, well crafted book, crafted well enough that it made me almost believe the crazy ass labyrinthine (laughs) unlikely plot, which, uh, which was actually very interesting in its own labyrinthine, highly unlikely sort of uh, way. Um, And there was also a good dose of geopolitics involving Bosnia and Czechoslovakia and Russia and America. (laughs) Um, Some interesting characters, lots of secrets, lots of spy, spy craft. It was a lot of fun. I'm not going to say it was a great book, but it was a page turner and it was just what the doctor ordered. I love it. I love it. You know, I kind of like, sometimes I really can get into genre fiction. Oh, me too. Me too. 
me too. I haven't read any lately, but me too. I've got to get to reading. I've got so many books here from the library. I've got to get into it. <laughs> now, if it's genre fiction that really gets into the nature of reality, well, that's another story. Well, that might be The Erasers by Rob Grillet. He might do that in that book. It's hard to say. I'll have to think about that. I'm going to write Great. that down. Uh, and listeners, please write down your thoughts and send them to us at theagency.podcast at gmail.com because we love your mail. Yes, we do. Tell us what you're thinking. What you're cooking, wh what you're watching, what you're reading. <laughs> we want to know it all. Okay, I'll see you later. Okay, bye. Bye.